0: Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, the 17th chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and between you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. People of God, let us join together and read responsibly whole verse by whole verse from Psalm 22. You who fear the Lord, give praise. All you of Jacob's line, give glory. Stand in awe of the Lord, all you offspring of Israel. For the Lord does not despise nor abhor the poor in their poverty. Neither is the Lord's face hidden from them. But when they cry out. The Lord hears them. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I will perform my vows in the sight of those who fear the Lord. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Let those who seek the Lord give praise. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of nations shall bow before God. For dominion belongs to the Lord, who rules over the nations. Indeed, all who sleep in the earth shall bow down in worship. All who go down to the dust, though they be dead, shall kneel before the Lord. Their descendants shall serve the Lord, whom they shall proclaim to generations to come. They shall proclaim God's deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying to them, the Lord has acted. Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, the fourth chapter. The promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is The father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believed in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The Holy Gospel this morning according to St. Mark, the 8th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. With the holy angels. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. People of God, will you pray with me? Almighty God, send us your spirit. That we may trust in your promises. Being convinced that you are able to do that which you have said. Lift us up by the power of your spirit. To tell a generation yet unborn that you have indeed acted. You have acted to bring us mercy. You have acted To show us your forgiveness. And you have acted to draw us into your resurrection life. Help us by that life to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow you wherever you would have us go. Knowing that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. For all these things and all the things of our hearts. We live before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What will it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? It's one of those sayings from Jesus that's often taken out of context and it's used heavily in themes of Various sorts in film and in literature, in music, and much more. To highlight the fine line between remaining loyal to one's own personal code and crossing that line to amass wealth or power or momentary victory. Will the good guy kill the bad guy, compromising their moralistic virtue to prevent more chaos, discord, and death? Will they succumb to the temptations of greed in order to save a dying loved one? Or indent themselves to the no- notorious underbelly of the world in an effort to overcome some perceived larger threat? Will you trade your character, your soul, your very life to gain your utmost desire in life? And while compelling entertainment, that's not really in any way, shape or form what Jesus is trying to communicate He isn't commenting on the moral gray area of our actions and decisions. Or speaking in metaphor about himself, his mission, or those who would become his disciples. Jesus is very seriously and very directly speaking the truth of how he expects his followers to be found in the world. Uncompromised by the human things which threaten to distract us from Jesus and his words. Jesus has just offered the first of his teachings about his own passion in response to a confession that was made by Peter. Who do you say that I am? You, Jesus, are the Christ. Christ. Such a confession, the the first human to identify Jesus as God's anointed Savior, falters when, in response to Jesus' teaching of of what the Son of Man must endure, Peter pulls Jesus aside and attempts to censure his words, inciting Jesus' very public and direct disapproval. Peter understands that as a disciple, as a follower, of Jesus. His life is now intimately tied to the life of the one whom just a few verses prior to our reading called Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And if Jesus, if Jesus, God's anointed Messiah, must suffer, endure rejection by those in public positions of prestige and power, and be killed by them because of that rejection, then what is in store for those who claim to follow him? Peter's rebuke is both selfish and prideful, seeking to preserve his own life from a martyr's end by telling Jesus what Jesus' own ministry does and does not entail. He is ashamed of Jesus' words and fearful of what they mean. Not just for Jesus, but for himself. As people, we are conditioned to reject the must. No one can tell us what to do to avoid death and unpleasantness in pursuit of life at all costs. It's hardwired into our human condition. But ultimately, ultimately, that is a rejection of God's own activity In the world. No, Jesus, if if you are the Messiah that I believe you to be, there has to be another way. You can make another way. Peter's telling Jesus that what must come as a result of his ministry isn't so. That Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. That the Messiah can't suffer rejection and die. He's telling Jesus the Word of God, that his words are somehow. False. And Jesus calls Peter Satan, the adversary, the tempter, because Peter's rebuke is a temptation for Jesus. A temptation to use his relationship with the Father, his authority over creation as the Son, and his anointed call by the Spirit to avoid for himself such a gruesome. An unceremonious end. Though talking about those who desire to become one of his disciples, Jesus' direct rebuke of those unwilling to deny themselves in deference to their own security is an indication of his own commitment to his kingdom ministry. Jesus himself will not seek to gain the whole world Because it would compromise who he is. God with us, the author and giver of life. Jesus will not seek to save his own life, knowing full well that he will lose it. Because it would mean that he is not only ashamed of himself, but of the words that he has taught to his disciples. Words of forgiveness mercy and healing which come directly from the mouth of God the Father through the presence of the Holy Spirit. In pursuit of offering God's healing mercy to the world, Jesus will not be deterred by the hostile responses that are leveled against him by those who have benefited from the oppression of others, even if it means his own death in pursuit of proclaiming God's forgiveness to the outcast and to the repentant, Jesus will not be swayed by the rebuke of even his closest friends and followers, knowing that faithful disciples will be led to the same end. In a commentary on today's text, one of my professors, Dr. Brent Driggers, wrote that for Mark and Mark's gospel, discipleship is not some comfortable affiliation with Jesus, but a life-changing and potentially life-threatening commitment to him. As disciples of Jesus, do we recognize, like Peter— that our own lives are intimately tied to the one whom we follow. Notice the text says to pick up your cross. There is no need to manufacture one. The demands of a broken world have already laid them at our feet. Each time Jesus reached out to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to forgive the outcast sinner, and to rebuke the forces which distanced and distracted people from God's kingdom, he took another step toward his own cross. And here he tells us that in faithfully following him, we will do the same. What does discipleship look like for us? Two thousand years removed from a movement In ancient Israel that was persecuted, mocked, and ridiculed for worshiping a Jewish God made flesh. The marks of discipleship. Participation in Jesus' ministry are detailed in the verses which came before today's reading. Jesus called disciples to come together to follow him. Participating in a community of faith in worship and in prayer and in maturity. Jesus encouraged generosity in supporting that faith community's mission. Imploring the hospitality and the financial resources to enhance the reach for those in need of food and healing and reconciliation. Jesus pushed that faith community to look beyond their own needs, their own comforts, their own desires. By seeking out those who are different and spreading the good news of God's kingdom with them in word and in deed. In our culture, we have categorized and separated these actions as worship and stewardship and evangelism. When for Jesus, there is no compartmentalization to be found in the life of the disciple. These are the most base requirements that Jesus has laid out for his disciples. The lessons that he has taught them since he came out of the waters of the Jordan in chapter 1. Up until this first passion teaching now in Mark chapter 8. How selfish that we live in a time where public worship was seen as an option, even long before COVID-19 made it unsafe to congregate in one space. How telling that regular appeals must be made for generous giving and faithful guardianship of our time and our money in order to tend to the needs of the community that we have been sent to serve. How telling that we have the luxury of being able to speak about Jesus openly without fear of death, and yet remain ashamed of pointing to God's love in Christ as the foundation of our being. Jesus makes it very clear this kingdom work is not an optional lifestyle choice that we can take up when it is convenient. And set down when it becomes too heavy. For Jesus to be his disciple means to participate in his ministry. And his ministry is one of worship, generosity, and witness. For Jesus to continue as one of his disciples. Participating fully in his ministry will entail hardship tribulation, rejection, suffering, and sacrifice. If it doesn't, I believe we are left asking ourselves, is there some way in which we are ashamed of Jesus, seeking like Peter to save our own life and avoid the cross that is waiting to hang us out to dry? That is an uncomfortable question to ask oneself, to have our faithfulness questioned. And that same discomfort was experienced by Peter and warranted Jesus's rebuke of him. Yet even after Peter's rebuke, all is not lost. Peter continues to follow Jesus to Calvary and beyond, becoming the first among equals as the leader of Christ's resurrection church. Repentance and redemption still remain, even for one who has been associated with Satan himself. What more then remains for us, who strive to learn what it means in this day and age, to deny ourselves and take up our cross in following the Son of God. The solution, Jesus says, is not to seek your own suffering, to lump sacrifices on your back like the medievals thought. The solution is to participate more fully in Jesus' ministry, a ministry of mercy of generosity and self-giving love, refusing the temptation to hang up your hat at the end of the day, continuing to point to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, knowing and trusting that in the footsteps of Jesus, that path is leading us toward Good Friday and the promised Easter dawn of new life yet to come. Amen.